Hello, strangers. Welcome to Television Times podcast with me, your host, Steve Otis Gunn. Now, this is episode one. It isn't exactly tight. It's a little loose. Our mics weren't perfectly placed, and I don't think either of us knew what we were doing. Uh, this one features my friend Tony the Pony, Tony Page, Tony P, whatever you want to call him. It's a little loose. The format wasn't tight yet, uh, but we had a lot of fun, and I hope you do too. Um, I just want to say a big thank you for tuning into this episode, as I know there are a million choices online, and you could be listening to something that you know, and this is an unknown quantity at this point, but I hope we can deliver and not waste your time. Thanks for tuning in. I say tuning in a lot. I know you're not tuning in, but that's what we say. It's part of the pod. So come back for more next week. This is episode one. Here we go. Roll up, roll up. Welcome to Television Times, a new podcast with your host, me, Steve Otis Gunn. We'll be discussing television in all its glorious forms. From my childhood, your childhood, the last 10 years, even what's on right now. So join me as I talk to people you do know and people you don't about what scared them, what inspired them and what made them laugh and cry here on Television Times. Welcome to Television Times with me, Steve Otiskan, and... My name's Tony, Tony Page. As we call him. <laughs> Tony the Pony is uh, using my hand sanitizer, which I keep in the studio, in case the postman comes <laughs> when I'm in because the middle. Because the postman only comes once, doesn't it? Seems to come about four in the afternoon these days. Um, so yeah, this is Television Times, the podcast. I will ask you all, are you sitting comfortably? <laughs> sitting down so this it is a part of cucumber by the way okay i'm gonna don't know if i'm gonna let that horrible sound be the first thing that people hear for those who are into asmr or what's the thing when you're when you can't listen to people eat or drink i don't know it's got a name anyway we'll find that out it's a phobia. anyway i'm not doing any of that okay and they do things like this don't they they get a pen and they go and then someone wanks That's in malaysia fucking uh, it is very annoying. I don't, anyway. mean, I, don't, I don't mind people whispering in my ear, but, you know. Right, we're editing all this out. None yeah. of that's staying. Okay. So, are you sitting comfortably? I am. Thank you very much, Stephen. Good. This is, uh, my mum seems to be here. Someone just called me Stephen. Um, <laughs> the podcast. Okay, from now on, you may call me Anthony. Well, I've got a funny story about that. Uh, my mum, when I was ooh, 12, 13, she was pregnant with my brother. So I was like an only child when I was 13. And she named me Stephen after having a dream when she was seven, even though she married a man with that name as well. Although I found out that wasn't his name. Let's not get into that. Um, But when I was about 13, I was going down the shops in Lewisham. She was off to buy more baby products. And um, she just turned to me in the street and she went, you'll always be a Stephen. You'll never be a Steve. I was like, why are you dissing the name that you gave me in trying to make out like I'm never going to be cool enough to pull off the Steve. Pull off the Steve. <laughs> so it was like immediately I then said in my mind, I just went, yeah, fucking I'll show you. I never used Stephen again after that with anyone new I ever met. Never at all. No, I hate the name actually. Uh, it's just one of those King's names, isn't it? So anyway, uh, this is a podcast predominantly about television, although it's a bit free flow, so it might lead us down some other paths. Let's just see where it all takes us. So question one. Question one. So earlier we had a little chat, but um, being the first episode of the podcast, of course I didn't record it. Uh, Tony's mic was off. 
which was rather annoying. And we did get some nice insight, but um, luckily uh, that one has been deleted because it was uh, full of racism, sexism and homophobia. So we won't be using that one. All from his mic, of course. That was why it was off. Okay, so what's just happened this weekend was the Eurovision Song Contest 2023, in which uh, Sweden won, which was, it was a good song, a little bit repetitive. I really wanted Finland to win. I don't, did you watch it? Do you know anything? I didn't watch you it didn't? at all, no. See, I've never watched it since the mid-90s, I reckon, all the way through. I've never um, watched Eurovision. It's never really been high on my list of things to do. No, I mean, mine neither, neither, because it was considered naff for a very long time. But I used to like the sarcastic Terry Wogan voiceover and also Graham Norton does it. And Mel Gilroy did a fantastic job of being sarcastic this time. But I found that there were quite a lot of really just normal good songs. And I want more crazy, you know, dressed in uniform, acting weird. There was one like that, but I did really want Finland to win because they had a really mad sort of Eurovision style song. I think a lot of people were behind that one. But what I found mainly was that there was a song by Israel. Oh, yeah, it was something about a unicorn. And it was performed by uh, a young, you know, good-looking, sexy woman. And because I was sitting there watching Eurovision with my firstborn son, I did sort of look to my left to see if he would react in any way because we're sort of waiting for him to sort of show signs in any direction, you know. Um, so my son is sitting beside me watching this uh, quite a uh, raunchy performance in the middle. Um, and I was looking over and there was nothing. I was like, well, if, if anything's going to make him, you know, perk up, it's going to be this. But uh, he showed no signs. So that made me sort of think, when did I first feel anything from like watching something on TV? And I would argue that that for me would be Charlie's Angels. Charlie's Angels theme is nothing like this, but we can't afford to play the original and Charlie's Angels was obviously a massive deal when I was a kid, and everyone sort of fancied the other ones, but I fancied the the brunette among the group, and I believe she was called Sabrina. I can't remember. Was it Kate Jackson? Is Kate, that the name? Yeah, it was yeah. Kate Jackson. And that's who I fancied, and I remember feeling really funny and always being really happy when she was on television. <laughs> and I would have been, what, seven, eight, nine, something like that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's probably the first time I felt like that. So my... Question to you, Tony Tone Tone, is when did you first feel any kind of desire, I would say, without knowing what it was, someone on television? Without knowing what it was, it was probably Susan Strunks on a programme called Magpie. I remember Magpie. Yeah. One for sorrow, two for joy and all that. Magpie, 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 magpie. That's not the theme either. What was the guy in that? Was it a big curly-haired fella? I can't remember his name. I don't know, but he was a bit of a... Tango whiskey, alpha tango to me. All right. <laughs> we're not going to get like, uh, we're not going to stop and Google these things. So it's like, if we don't remember it, you guys are going to have to check it out <laughs> yourself. But check out Magpie. It was kind of like a weird kids, uh, half Top of the Pops, half magazine show, I'd say. Oh, the more time. magazine show than yeah. Top of the Pops. They had bands though, didn't they? Like, but they didn't have as much sticky back plastic as Blue Peter did. Blue Peter, no. no. Yeah. I never... I never wanted like a blue Peter badge when I was a kid. That never like appealed to me. It was something like something prefecty about it. Like it seemed like, why would I want that? Walk around with that. But what I did want, of course, was a Jim or Fix It badge. <laughs> Which in retrospect was a terrible choice. <laughs> and I do remember <laughs> writing to that absolute fucking nonce 
or, or at least the TV show. Um, and I do remember, because I was really into the band Madness, and I remember writing saying, could you please make it for me that I could meet Madness? And, you know, and thankfully, he never fucking replied. Otherwise, we might be having a different kind of podcast here. So, uh, Can you imagine what would have happened if you'd written that Jim will fix it and asked, <laughs> asked to meet Gary Glitter? <laughs> Someone must have actually done that. Double whammy. Anyway, Google all these faces, kids. They're all perverts. For me, it's a bit like Gary Newman to Bowie. Do you know what I mean? Mm. you got Bowie, you know, which, who I love. Um, and you got, I mean, I don't mind Gary. Like a discount Bowie. Well, you know, here in my cars, I go greatest of all. I mean, it sounds a bit Bowie, doesn't it? You know, it, it's the only way to live in cars. <laughs> I mean, it's basically a tribute act. Talking about blue Peter badges, where I grew up, if anyone went out of the house wearing a blue Peter badge, they would have had the crap kicked out of them. Really? Why? Oh, yeah. Why? Because it was a posh thing or just to kind of look at you... They used to get discounts and stuff with it. Was it like having a club card or something? You'd get, I remember like there being, if you had a Blue Peter badge and you went to like Thorpe Park, you'd get a discount or something like that. Something like that. But if you get a golden one, mm-hmm. I think that, um, that entitles you to certain things. I mean, there's a lot of weird TV when I was a kid in that my favourite, um, probably something we could talk about on this, that I would say is quite pivotal is the show might. I wonder if you saw it. Um, Why don't you? Do you remember the show called Why Don't You? I've heard it, but you see, I, mean, I must, I must explain to any listeners out there that I spent a long time away from the shores of the UK. I left here in '82 and came back in the early 2000s. Mm. So I missed huge swathes of popular TV. But you would have been exposed to, like, maybe all the American stuff, like Knight Rider and TJ Hooker, oh, all those sort of 80s of, things. Of course, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah. King of the Hill and, you know, everybody loves Raymond. Right. And Seinfeld, I mean, Seinfeld was a big one for me, but it was never really on at the right times here. It was always like a... I think I saw him first saw it on a plane because it was like a random episode. It never had a proper time slot here. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, in the 90s, I do remember... Like on a Thursday, I used to work, I used to deliver pizzas to Pizza Hut. And I'd always take Thursday night off. And the reason I would take it off is because... I'd always take it off because um, it was Friends and ER. And being in the 90s and being typical, I watched both of those avidly like everyone else did. And it just seemed like a fun night to like get a little, get some drinks in and sit with your friends and just watch those two shows back to back. And I remember doing something very similar in Australia in 99, um, where I would take a certain day off because there was, I was working in a burger bar in Sydney while I was backpacking. And um, I do remember taking a certain night off because there was, again, a series of shows on, all quite shit. One of them was Charmed, which I didn't even like, but it was more to do with like, oh, there's some good shows, some fun, silly shows on that night. So we'll get food in and we'll, you know, sit and watch that. So, yeah, the scheduling of your night being denoted by what is on television is actually something that's gone now. Yeah, I mean, what, I, what I love is the opportunity to sit down in front of a screen now and just blitz yourself with a particular programme. I never watched The West Wing when right. it was first on, you know, general well, release. I was quite late to that myself, yeah. 
And that was in, I think it was 2001. Was yeah. it 2001? I think it started in 99. Okay. And it went to about 2008, something, seven, something like that. Seven series. And there's 20, between 21 and 23 episodes per season. Fantastic show. I agree. And over the last couple of weeks, I think I've seen about 85 hours of The West Wing. Right now? Yep. Oh, right now you're doing that? Just, yeah. Just, oh, wow. That's great. I've only got another 75 to go. <laughs> it's funny when you do that because especially in the sort of what they call the post-truth era, a show like The West Wing will probably seem quite dated and quite innocent with the things that they're discussing, I would imagine. Um, one of the things that really worried me is because, you know, like, um, what's that other one with um, Robin, what's her face, and the other pedophile? <laughs> House of Cards. Yes, House of Cards. <laughs> Which I, I can still watch Spacey, I and must admit. Oh, yeah. Spacey, yeah, that's right. He's very good in it because he's a <laughs> in it and he is one, so, you know, we can and, say that. But he's, he's, a, he's a Democrat. Yeah. And so they have a, a Democratic White House. And the West Wing is... Democratic White House. Now, was, was this done deliberately? Is it that Republicans? No, aren't there was as, one. There was one. Called... Republicans aren't as, as lovable. Well, I think <laughs> I think because it was. Uh, I mean, the West Wing would have come out in '99, so Bill Clinton is about to be turfed out, and I think people expected Al Gore to win. Some would argue he still he actually did win. Um, I might be on that camp, and um, yeah, I think it was just. People thought that that was, that was where it was going. So it wasn't like a... Eventually it became, obviously, a sort of counterpoint to the Bush administration, but certainly not in the beginning. I mean, especially when you're watching The West Wing, you can really see the mechanics of all that. And have you got to the last season yet? I don't know. No, I'm, okay. in, I'm on season five. Okay, so obviously they, they do deal with the, you know, a president can only do two terms situation. I think it's done really, really well. Only this is Chinese, of course. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> so that, how did we get to the West Wing? So anyway, yes. Uh, oh, no, it was, it was the way that, you know, it's, it's, it's great that you can go and immerse yourself in a season or several seasons, you can binge watch. Yeah, and also like, well, oh, so I was talking about um, scheduled television and how that's sort of dying. And although I do miss it, when I see something good and I have to wait a week now, it does sort of wind me up a little bit. You know, like, come on, guys, you're making me this, wait a whole week for this shit. Absolutely necessary. But then again, if you blitz something too fast, I, I do feel that a certain level of enjoyment is lost if you watch everything in one go. Because what happens then, of course, is you watch it all in three days and then you have to wait a year. And by the time you watch it again, you have to go through recaps where people are going, hey, guys, uh, just letting you know what's happening on my feed. Subscribe, subscribe. And uh, OK, we're just going to have a recap of season one. Whoa, what? And shut the fuck up. You know, so that's the problem with that. If you span it over 10 weeks, like, say, I'm doing right now with uh, Succession or whatever, I know it's ending, you know, you... You can savour it. I feel like certain shows have to be savoured. Certain shows have to be watched when the kids are in bed. Um, certain shows I can eat with because I don't care about it, like Queer Eye or something like that. I can just watch that and eat my dinner. I don't have to focus on it. I wouldn't eat my dinner with succession. You know, I, I want to watch that when everyone's definitely not going to come in and ruin it. Be 
I mean, I rarely watch scheduled TV. Race Around the World was on recently. We quite like that. I kind of like watching that live if I can. Stuff like that, or maybe 10 minutes after it's on, you know. My bus go by. Loudest bus in the world. We could open the window, of course. I tried to when I was doing the mic thing, and it was like I was on a runway. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> fucking hell. It's like air crash investigation. <laughs> but going back to what I was saying is this, this long burn, you know, with scheduled TV, but with binge watching it's somewhat akin to binge drinking yeah you know that when the program finishes when the season finishes you're gonna crash because you don't have you don't have that fix and there's a a hollow feeling because even though your ass hurts from sitting in front of the television for 10 hours straight you want that well, extra that... numbness because there's this where's it gone I, I i need to and then you you start this frenzied search on all of the, the streaming platforms oh I, I think oh i'll tell you what i'll go back and i'll watch um better call soul just one more time oh people re-watching yeah i can do a rewatch, but it has to be way later like um i did re-watch the first two seasons of succession with my wife because she hadn't seen it and I wanted her to maybe catch up if she was interested. Uh, She loves it now. Talking of that point that you just made about there being an empty hole when a show ends, I do remember the first time that happening um, was when Friends ended. I think 2004, five Mm. is that when it was? Um, And there was a helpline set up for people who were like, (laughs) you know, affected by its end. And I, I know there's subsequent shows that that has happened for. I'm trying to think of one recently um, when a show ends. Um, and I felt a little bit like that. Have you seen Traitors? No. Okay, so Traitors is a very addictive show. Um, we watched that earlier this year, and it's really not the kind of TV I watch. I'm not a big reality guy. I kind of watch The Apprentice, although it's getting boring, and Dragon's Den, the classics. Uh, and this did not appeal to me, but it hooked me in. And I couldn't wait to see was the it next one. Of, was it because of Claudia's fringe? <laughs> it wasn't. It was the whole premise. And for me, uh, if you buy my book, you shot my dog and I love you, you'll find out that I have a life of uh, a little bit of deception, a little bit of lying in my past um, that I'm quite good at. So I was really intrigued to see how well these people would do lying to everyone but if you haven't seen it we'll discuss this with someone else but that was there was a hole after that i was like when's the next one and i even made myself watch the we watched the australian one Mm -hmm. and then we we watched the american one as well which i really didn't want to watch uh, because it seemed that the music was different the production was all very you know kitchen nightmares and it's too fast guys like slow the fuck down you know Bring everything around to TV. Um, when was the first time you saw a back of seat television on a plane? And how did you feel about that? And what did you watch? Oh, this, I think the first back of seat must have been on the flight from Gatwick Airport to Bahrain on my way to Korea the first time. Did you know it was going to be there or was it an added, were you ready to like, It was know, an added bonus. It was, it was amazing because the, the air hostess, am I allowed to say air hostess? 
They were mm, called cabin crew. I mean, no, no, they were called air hostesses. That's okay. Call it what it was in the time. That's fine. <clears throat> yeah, as long as it's not uh, racially sensitive. <laughs> no, of course not. You know, I'm not a racist. Of course, he isn't. Not on, not with the mics on, anyway. No. Um, I used to love. I had this love-hate relationship with the pneumatic headphones. Pneumatic headphones. You've uh, never seen these? As a qualified sound engineer, I do not know what these are. Okay. The sound used to come out of two little holes in the arm of your seat. And you had what was basically a plug. Yeah. Not an electronic plug, it was a physical plug. Like a, a pipe insert. Oh, was this like an in-ear? In-ear. Like in- a hospital radio from the olden days? Yeah, it was, so it was just like empty pipes. And you'd stick these things in your ears. Like a so, stethoscope. Yeah. And so the, the sand was distributed to each seat via... What you used to basically put on your tubes. on your bath to make a shower and you didn't have a shower. Exactly. And you used to stick these in your ears. So... So what, I'm intrigued by these uh, mad headphones, stethoscope headphones, as I'm going to think of them in my mind. Because um, the first time I saw a back-of-seat television on a plane, I think was 99, 2000, around then, when I was I went on Virgin and they had it. And I was just blown away by it because I'd gone across the Atlantic a couple of years before and had to watch, like, a, I think it was... It was like projected onto the wall of the aircraft. I mean, say a screen, it wasn't. It was like, you know, one of the walls between um, classes. So I was really blown away. But I just remember that being a sort of two-plug thing, but they were headphones that you were given by Virgin when you got on board. Did you have to buy those? No, there was no buying. The one with the uh, screening on the wall, yes, we had to buy those, and they were ridiculous. It was air... Which is the equivalent of a freight plane at the time. Um, if you watch aircraft investigation, they do feature. Um, I'm not joking. The plane was so full and so heavy. I mean, in my mind, there was a goat in the aisle. There wasn't, but in my mind now, looking back, there was. It shook its way across the Atlantic, shitting the life out of me, and it it was to Toronto, and it couldn't make it. So we had to land in some airfield um, <laughs> to refuel. This is someone who's, like, you know, nervous about flying. This is my first... I think that was my first transatlantic flight, or the second, maybe. And it was it was not good. It was a terrible experience. But we had normal headphones on that. So I'm I'm intrigued by these uh, tubular stethoscope shower head headphones <laughs> <laughs> that you had. Are you sure it wasn't like some kind of eight-track cartridge or maybe it was laser not, disc or something? No, it wasn't. It was not at all. Put a big disc in the side of the seat. <laughs> <laughs> it comes up on the screen. You have to turn it over halfway. You know, you said that you said that you are nervous about flying. I've always been a nervous traveller, um, and I I still fly. But what I'm surprised at is it never really goes away. So I'm always fearful of it. Um, it, ju- it just never leaves me. I'm never more. Sometimes I'll. I'll build it up too much and I'll think about it too much. And then when I get on, I'm, I'm absolutely scared. Sometimes I just don't. I'm like an actor going on stage. I just don't think about it until I'm on it. And then it hits me sometimes. Mm-hmm. But there is a fuck it factor once it takes off. Um, but this turbulence, really, when I get to, when it gets too turbulent, I really do get, uh, you know, I've cried. I'll admit it. I, I've really teared up on planes before from absolute fear. And I don't, I don't feel that in any other part of my life. 
but I do feel it on planes. So actually having a television on the back of a seat, I would argue has made it a lot more palatable because at least I can spend a good chunk of time deciding what to watch, Seinfeld episodes, Mr. Bean, whatever they've got. I usually go for comedy because I need to fucking laugh because it ain't funny. (laughs) (laughs) I did watch um, several seasons of uh, Two and a Half Men Hmm. on Emirates on my travels not so long, well, a few years ago. Is that the Charlie Sheen seasons and stuff like that? It was the... I watched uh, Charlie Sheen and that other, what's he called? The one that married that... Ashton Kutcher took over. Yeah, he took over. I did watch... The only episode I've ever seen of that show was him taking over because we were intrigued to see what that would be like. And I don't really watch Chuck Chuck Lorre TV shows apart from the Kaminsky Method, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? I think so. I, Michael Douglas. I think so. Yeah, that <laughs> left a massive uh, impression. Yeah. That was a good one. That was recommended by a friend of mine um, whose viewing tastes I massively admire. And I was very surprised when she suggested it to me because I was like, Chuck Lorre, I'm not going to watch like that kind of Big Bang Theory type shite. Am I? Does he make that? I don't know. But, you know, people love those shows, so I don't want to disrespect ever, them. Have you ever... Paused, you know, on the on the Chuck Lorre uh, TV. There's always uh, there was always like a, a lot of blurb at the end. It's, right. only, it's only on screen for a couple of seconds. What's there? It's like ramblings. Right. Check it out. Just I do like those like things. Them. I do like yeah. those things. Like the one I remember from childhood is Stephen J. Cannell Productions. Oh, He's yeah. always at the end of like. I'm going to say like Knight Rider or TJ Hooker, things like that. And he'd pull a piece of paper out and he'd be typing and a piece of paper and he'd throw it and it would turn into a cartoon. And I've always remembered that. A bit like um, other 70s um, TV shows like uh, The Streets of San Francisco, it'd always go, a Quinn Martin production. You know, you'd know who produced the fucking thing before you knew who was in it. They always used to do that and it sticks in your mind. It never, ever leaves. And you remember that Fred Quimby had an association with I can with see a signature. I can see Absolutely. a signature, can't you? Yeah. You know, that's amazing. That it's kind like of branding. Disney, Disney yeah. is, is there before you see the movie. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm not, I, I have to be careful where I tread with this conversation. Okay. So I'll probably steer clear of Disney for a bit. Okay. <laughs> and that's films anyway, luckily. Well, not anymore. But um No, Disney yeah. Plus, of course. Disney uh, Plus. Muscling in the television. Okay, so I will I will talk about it very briefly. I've not been a fan of Disney generally. Since I've, you found out that it was no, somebody else in a Mickey suit. No, I just I I was a warner like well, this happened, right? So for my 30th birthday, I was in LA and I'd convinced myself that I wanted to go to Disneyland because that's what you do having never liked anything Disney, TV, film, whatever. And at the last minute, I thought, well, what do I like? (laughs) I like Warner Brothers. I used to love Warner Brothers cartoons, you know, Hanna-Barbera, all of that sort of stuff, Hong Kong Fooey, all this sort of thing. And for some reason, it never occurred to me not to go. So I had to sort of sit there and go, hang on a minute, why am I going somewhere I don't like, that I don't even like what they make, just because I'm in the place where that is? And then I found out that you could actually go to Warner Brothers lot and it was only six or 12 people a day. And I got on the list with my then girlfriend and we went on my birthday to Warner Brothers and we went around in one of the little carts. So I'm going around the Warner Brothers lot, seeing like Mark Wahlberg and George Clooney playing basketball, went on various sets, saw a show called Jack and Jill being filmed. They showed us where Seinfeld was filmed. And I went back and I saw where ER was filmed. 
Um, and then right at the end, they were like, oh, this is where Friends is filmed. This is a bit Friends heavy, this episode. Uh, I'm not a massive fan of Friends, but I did like it at the time. Um, and I, you know, like everyone else, I know, I know it's one of those shows where I probably know way too much dialogue, way more than I should, um, even though I haven't watched it for years. We went to the lot where Friends is filmed and um, they said, oh, this is on hiatus at the moment, so we can't go in. Um, but, you know, if you guys want a book, and I went, and I said to the guy, it's my birthday. <laughs> the magic key. So I said to the guy, any chance we can go in? He went, sorry, we can't go in. It's, it's locked up. And then someone else I was with, oh, go on, open it up for him. It's his birthday. The guy went and contacted someone on the walkie-talkie, got a message back, and then he just opened up the set, turned on the lights, click, click, click. And then there I was standing in like the real central perk and, <laughs> and just there, like wow. walking around. It was absolutely amazing. Um, was Gunda still there? <laughs> But that guy died, didn't he, recently? RIP. Did he? Oh. Yeah, unfortunately. Bad, bad, uh, bad uh, name to bring up. But no, I was I was quite impressed. And what I remember feeling the most was how small the corridor was between the apartments. And I was standing there, like, looking at it, going, there's a door here, there's another door, like a meter. How do they make it look so wide? But anyway, cameras. Um, <laughs> and I had seen, around that time, I did go to quite a lot of filmings. I went to see King of Queens, episode of that being filmed. I had no idea what these things were. Oh, I love King of Queens. Yeah, I was in the audience for that. I remember being in the audience of... What's... In England was called Celebrity Squares when I was a kid. Hollywood Squares, that was it. Being oh, in the I audience remember for that. that, yeah. Yeah, with... Um, did they actually sit on top of one of them? They did, yeah. It's actually like that. It's not like a University Challenge. They're actually on top of each other. It's a big square, and every, the guy from, like, Dharma and Greg was in it, and Whoopi Goldberg, some other people. I, I didn't know who they were then. Probably Dharma really famous and now. Greg. Remember Dharma and Greg? She was somebody who would make me feel strange. Jenna Elfman. There is. I pulled yes. it out of my brain, guys. I know it sounded like I Googled Excellent it. Job. I did pulled it out because, I, like Tony the Pony, I had those same feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and they all went away when I found out she was a Scientologist. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, I know, right? Voluntarily <laughs> or...? Well, well, I don't think she was, like, dragged into it. I don't know if um, she was a fan, like, grew up in it or if she converted for... Because that, that lady was uh, in The King of Queens. What's she called again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um... She she is a big, big exposer of it. Her name, we will try and pull it out. We'll pause while I go into my Google brain. Yeah, we can't not know. I know her name. I know her name. Me too. I just can't remember. Hey, Siri, who is the female lead in King of Queens? An organism sex is female if it produces the ovum, the type of gamete that fuses with the male gamete during sexual reproduction. And if you can hear that, that is why Siri is absolutely shit. No. <laughs> hey, Siri, is it going to rain today? I don't want a cup of coffee. I mean, what the hell is wrong with this thing? One can't know everything, can one? Oh, you fucking bet. So you mentioned Leah Romini there, who, uh, Romini. who is the uh, wife of Kevin James and King of Queens. She used to be part of the Church of Scientology. Yeah, yeah, she grew. I believe she did grow up in it, and she was. She's now an advocate uh, for people who've left, and I believe there is a TV show that she has done, of which there are lots of episodes, which you should check out. Um, it's quite exposing, um, along with Louis Theroux's. I mean, I, I'd say it's a TV show. He says it's a film his Scientology film, but for the purposes of this podcast, it's television. It's an hour and a bit long, isn't it? So 
Louis Theroux stuff aren't, I wouldn't say they're films, Louis, but you're fantastic and we love you. Um, moving on, let's uh, try and sidestep all this uh, Scientology stuff as much as we can because I don't want to get sued because <laughs> I don't make any money yet. Okay, uh, Tony's just had a little thought about some television that might have stirred his loins. So let's uh, see what he's got to say about that. I used to love coming home and watching the old grey whistle test, specifically for the retro dancing to music, because at that time they didn't have dedicated... Um... Was that like a hot gossip, pans people type thing? No, it wasn't. It was music put to clips of old movies right. which had been edited so that it matched the beat of Oh, really? The, yeah. That's what people to... do now with Beyonce. They get her song and they put like an old 40s uh, dance routine on and they match it up with all yeah, the single ladies. Yeah, but this was, this was many, many years ago and it was, it was the old girl whistle test. Yeah. And it was Friday night. I'd come back, of course. I was young. I was living at home. How old are you talking here? Teenage? Late oh, teenager? yeah, like 18. Right. You know, you'd go out and have a couple of surreptitious brews with the boys. Yeah. Just get home at the right time to um, pass your parents on the stairs. They're going to bed, so you've mm-hmm. got the you've got the, the living room. Make sure your dad leaves the cigarettes downstairs because you're going to steal <laughs> at least... Did you have one of those big... Uh, Ashtrays in the lounge. My nan and granddad had, they used to have like a, a lighter made out of marble and then next to it an ashtray next to the TV. Like fucking Jim will fix it, basically. <laughs> Without the nonce behaviour. <laughs> no, we, we never had that. Uh-huh. Never had that. I was more of a top of the pops guy and what was the other stuff around my time? Probably the tube. Uh, which I wasn't really allowed to watch. It was on cha- one of Channel 4's um, flagship shows with Jules Holland and Paula Yates. During one of my trips back to Newcastle, I used to travel late because it was basically arriving on Cathay Pacific into Gatwick at one end. And I used to run along through the terminal to get the Dan Dare flight to Newcastle. Dan Dare. Dan Air flights. Should be an airline podcast this one today. It should be. Should be. <laughs> anyway, I'm. I run down to the gate and I get. I'm the last person. I'm shown into one of the front seats and I sit next to this pretty scruffy looking guy. He looked at me and the door closes and we take off. And you know you, you get chatting to the guy sitting next to you. Was it Andrew Lloyd Webber? No, it wasn't. I was. We were talking about, you know, where have you come from? And I told him. I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to Newcastle to do a, to do a show. Where did you come from? Where did you go? It's Cotton Eye Joe. You sit mm. next to Cotton Eye Joe. I was. <laughs> come on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and um, turns out he was going to appear on the tube. And yes, I was sitting next to Sir oh, Bob. Bob. Oh, mm. Bob. Bob of, Gel- yeah. Bob of Geldof. Yeah. And you wouldn't have known because you were out of the country, so your Live Aid must have been a thing, though. I mean, talk about television. Live Aid was like the... 86, wasn't it? 85. 85. Wait a minute, was Live Aid in the same year that um, the space shuttle exploded? So Christmas 1984 was the song, 
uh, Do They Know It's Christmas. Mm -hmm. Summer of 85 was the massive Wembley gig. Mm -hmm. And then the shuttle exploded, I believe, in early 1986. Hmm. I can't, I can't. It, 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 it all kind of like seems... Yeah, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. Same era. Same like, you know, last summer to about now, really, isn't it? It's just hmm. that distance of time. Talking yeah. about television, um, if we bring it back to TV briefly, um, that space shuttle incident is is one for me. You know, I really do remember that vividly. Oh, okay. where you were at the time you saw that. Just yeah. because um, I was going through a really weird period um, where I was having what, people who believe in such things would call premonitions. I was having dreams about things that would then happen, but they'd be subtle. They would be like a dream that I'm walking with my friend and he turns into my girlfriend. And then I'd be walking along the street with him the next day saying, I had a dream last night that you turned into my girlfriend. And the minute I say it, she taps me on the shoulder and he disappears into a shop. And I'm like, mm -hmm. but it was, it got a little bit weird. Um, but I did have a very vivid dream about the space shuttle blowing up a few days before. And I told him and then we used to do, he used to help me with my paper round after school. And we came back and my nan and granddad had the telly on and they were just sitting there like, oh, what the fuck? You know, it just happened, you saw the explosion. And um, I walked in and my mate just looked at me, he went, fucking hell, that's what you... And I went, yeah. And I was glad I had a witness. Mm -hmm. Of course, I know that is a coincidence because I would have probably been reading in the news that it was going to, there was a thing, you know, uh, it was going to take off, there's going to be a launch... I think it was going over the UK again. And I remember seeing it once upside down. Like we all went outside to sort of see it in the sky, like really far away, like a little dot in the sky. So I was probably just aware of it and I had that had that thing. But at the time I was like, oh, fucking hell, that's it, I'm psychic. Because my granddad and my nan and granddad were heavily into that kind of thing. Um, they would go to psychic meetings. I would deliver their newspapers. So in one, my granddad would order the psychic news you think you'd, you would think they didn't need it, wouldn't you? Um, and yeah, didn't so I yeah, exactly. So I was I was sort of exposed to that, um, and yeah, I remember that being probably before nine eleven. I would say that was probably the biggest televisual event, which leads us on to. Uh, I mean, I can happily say here that we did do a little test record before, and, it, and I stupidly didn't record one half. And we talked about this already, but I'm happy to revisit this, which is that when people say that they remember where they were when JFK was killed or 9-11 happened or the moon landings or whatever it is, I think what they're actually remembering is where they were when they saw it on television. And that is actually what people remember. They don't remember, you know, a newspaper or maybe some people with some radio and the old War of the Worlds thing that happened whenever that was. But I do think people remember when I think of 9-11, I was backstage at the Sheffield Theatre Royal, I want to say. Um, and it was on the screen at Stage Door. We were all, I was there, I was, uh, I was the sound engineer on a Woman in Black tour. And it was a very weird afternoon where we went to the Stage Door every time we could to see what would happen next. And um, I remember like, are we going to do this show tonight? You know, I remember it. And then Halfway through the um, rehearsal in the afternoon, the guy behind me doing the lighting went, they've got the Pentagon. And he's like, fucking hell, is this like a war starting? I missed the exact start of this. I saw, I didn't see the first plane go into the towers. I saw the mm. second plane go in. And this is before you could record live TV, so you couldn't like just rewind it. Couldn't, couldn't rewind it. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, the, the, the major networks were rewinding and replaying. Some but, would say re-editing. I'm not saying that. Uh, you wouldn't say that at all. <laughs> no, I'm joking. 
came back to my apartment, turned the TV on, went and got some milk, chugged it back, sat down, and bam, this thing on the TV was just shocking. You know, it was instant. The tower, was that the first tower going down? No, it was the it was the crash of the second plane yeah, into the second tower. Yeah, that was, and that was honestly, I felt like I wanted to cry. Yeah, because I it was unbelievable. Am I being trolled? You know, is this only happening on my TV? Right. And the only other time that I could remember feeling such raw emotion at something that was happening on TV was. Um, the moon landings. I have a line in my book, uh, You Shot My Dog and I Love You, available in all bookshops and online, um, about being uh, present for that, even though, because I, I was in my mother's stomach. That, mm. Not in her stomach, that would be weird, wouldn't it? I was in, in <laughs> I was in my mother's womb, but I didn't, it wasn't a womb with a view, so I couldn't see what was happening. So uh, I always say that I heard Neil Armstrong's immortal words from the muffled womb, because I was present, mm. but obviously I was a... Uh, you know, jelly bean or something. Jelly bean. No, I'd have been bigger than that. It was three months before I was born. So, yeah, I'd have been... I'm sure I didn't hear anything. But what I'm saying is I I was... I'm old enough to be present for that in some weird form. That's something I've really struggled with and have only really dealt with recently, if I'm being very honest. I, I had a, an issue with my age. I never lied about it, but I was reluctant to tell people what it was because I do feel youngish you know I don't feel my age I'm now 53 which is insane to me because I do not feel anything like that and I've always felt younger than I am and maybe there's something maybe it's because I went to college in the 90s when I was in my 20s I was seven or eight years older than everyone else so I felt like the 90s to me is like a second childhood even though I actually grew up in the 80s and to some degree the 70s well a lot in the 70s let's be honest um so it's like I had two and a half decades of growing up uh, instead of one or one and a bit. And then I think when I got to 40, I had a real issue with that. I really, really struggled with being that old, which is ridiculous now. But the 50 thing really, really, really fucking got to me. And it was only, talking of television, when I saw the Beatles documentary last year. Mm. And I finally, I'm not a Beatles guy. I'm definitely not a Beatles guy. No, but me I neither. definitely appreciate them way more than I did. And... I would argue, apart from maybe Jim and Andy, that mad fucking Jim Carrey on Man of the Moon documentary, the Beatles one has got to be a close, close to. Um, it's just absolutely amazing watching them produce an album out of thin air. And when they played that gig on the top of the Apple building in nine, January 1969, I, I sort of was annoyed that I wasn't alive. I was like... That's the year I was born. That's what London looked like. That's what I was being pushed around in a pram mm -hmm. in that era when it looked like that. And to me, that's now a good thing. That's a positive thing. It's like, oh, fucking hell. I was like, you know, although um, I don't think my eyes were open in the 60s because I was born like 10 weeks before the end of the decade. But it's nice to have a visual of something that's actually very cool and you should want to be from that time. And I'm, instead of pretending I'm not. And it was only when I saw that I thought, Huh, it's actually pretty cool to be from then, you know. And it's only that's the, the literally last year when I finally accepted fucking who I am and where I'm from, you know. Anyway, back to television. I'm just going to 
briefly talk about the difference between what I, I, I don't want to be like the kind of person that says, when I was a kid, I, I used to brush my teeth with a fucking yard brush and pissing. I mean, I grew up in Ireland for a bit of it and I actually did have a house toilet uh, in like the 80s. So I, I don't resent my children having the things they have and I don't think they're spoiled. But when it comes to television, my God, they're spoiled. I mean, the idea of like running home to watch like Grange Hill or Blue Peter or one of those things, like actually getting there for a scheduled show. Like I used to like, uh, it's funny how this all goes in. Like I used to watch a cartoon called Fred Bassett and I can still do the tune now. It's like, it's just in my head. I haven't seen it for fucking decades, you know? And I just, I wonder if, Things like that made more of an impact to say you and me because we had so little to choose from as to coming home now. My kids come home from school today. They can put on Netflix, whatever. They've got so much to choose from. I think it's almost, I think it's too much. It's like when iTunes came out and it's suddenly like, I don't know what to listen to. I've got 10,000 albums. How the fuck do I pick? You know, I, I think there's an element to that. What do you think about that? I use my kids as a filter. So, yeah, I used to watch cartoons on a Saturday morning when I was growing up. I also used to go to the, the matinee. At the, oh, the, the Saturday morning pictures. Yeah, yeah I, got I, thrown, I got thrown out, mm-hmm. apparently, for being an arsonist. Oh. But all I did was I just took a piece of paper and I threw it over the balcony. And, of course, as it passed through the projected image... Really? Yeah, it looked as if it was on fire. Mm. So this woman with, you know, like misty blue hair came down on me like a ton of bricks. And this is when they used to, obviously, everything was clockwork and the lighting was done by gas and wee willy winky. And there was no electricity then. No electricity. That's really, really harsh. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, I I used to watch the cartoons. I used to watch the things I was allowed to watch. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd sit with my parents when I was a teenager and I think Rumpole of the Bailey came on. Yeah. And my parents, staunchly Catholic, and used to enjoy the reasoning of this guy until, for some reason, he started talking about penetrative sex. Ah. Oh, I've never seen my mother move so quickly. Because <laughs> we didn't have remote control. No. I mean, I was the remote control, you know. She yeah, used yeah, to yeah. poke me and tell me which button to press. Well, there was a weird, a weird sort of halfway point, wasn't there, with remote controls? There was going up to the telly, touching the button itself, mm. pressing the button, and then for a while there were these sort of boxes on a string from the telly <laughs> yeah. that were kind of remote controls. <laughs> but the, the wire was never long enough to no. reach the sofa. So you'd have to get off the sofa to get the box anyway. Yeah, brilliant. Pain in the arse. No, just because um, you touched on it there about your parents, um, you know, running for the television when any kind of sex came on, which is a massively common trait and everybody has their version. Um, My version is slightly different in that it occurred around a time... When you were 27. No, that you might not know about because if you left in 1982, but um, in around, I'm going to say 1984, I lived with my grandparents and I lived in Peterborough. I'll say nothing about that. So my granddad's in the lounge, my nan's in bed, 
And I come down from my room. I've been up there, like, you know, listening to music, whatever, I had my headphones on, always did. I had a little reel-to-reel and I would, like, make up fake radio shows. Why have I not done a podcast till now? I used to put little things in and act like a DJ and go, okay, and coming up next, uh, it's uh, <laughs> Paul Hardcastle with no 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 19 And I'd do all this <laughs> and I'd edit it on the tape and I'd get the tape and I'd actually fucking cut it and join it back up and put it in like you a maniac. You'd physically cut it? I'd physically cut it with a... Solitaire. I'd splice it and use sellotape, yeah. You could use sellotape then. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, I come downstairs. My granddad's watching something. You know, he's in the room, like, you know, the TV... The image is like flashing on him because there's no light in the room. <laughs> and I sit down and he's watching two lesbians going at it. <laughs> and oh, I'm like, Sterling what is happening? It was Channel 4 and they did this thing called Red Triangle and it would they would show like actual proper pornography naked, like full, I'd never, this is the first time I'd seen anything like that. The only <laughs> time I'd ever seen anything like that before was a jazz mag that went around the school with a massive close-up of a woman's bits, and I just remember thinking, fucking hell, if that's what it looks like, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was not what I was expecting. I went downstairs and my granddad was watching um, this fucking thing, and he went, and then he said something derogatory about it. He just turned around and goes, oh, fucking or whatever, and I was like, you're the one watching it, and you seem to not be wanting to turn it over. Yeah. Um, and I just sort of sat there and I, for a minute, and I thought, this... Is, is he going to turn this off or whatever? And he just sat there and goes, okay, I'll just uh, go to bed then. See you. He goes, oh, all right, see you later. And he just sat there watching it. I mean, what would he have been, 65 at that point? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, he, we all know what he was doing, don't we? We know what he was up to. <laughs> um, but I found it really funny. And then again, and a little, at some time later, I came down again and he was watching what I can only consider to be Japanese rope torture. <laughs> I mean, I do not know what they were showing on Channel 4, but, I mean, it was a hell of a time to be alive. Which year was this? So it's about 1984, so it's definitely at the height of my prowess at searching for imagery. It was Mary Whitehouse amongst all of this. Yeah, I I don't know why it was allowed. It seems really weird, like it would be a problem now. I mean, now you have, like, Naked Attraction and things like that, which I still, when I see that show, I do actually think, my granddad knew what was on television nowadays. He'd have a fucking heart attack before he did. You know what I mean? You know the, the, the funniest. I've, I've never, I've never watched Naked Attraction. I've seen, I've seen like I know what it is. I've seen like little flashes of it. I bet you. I didn't realize that it starts off a bit like like when you're selling a horse. <laughs> you know, <laughs> selling a horse. You know, it's like somebody will check the hocks. Whereas on this, what do you want to see for you? Start at the, the feet. Cocks. Start the feet. Yeah, I know. It's like you know, and the the door <laughs> opens up progressively higher and higher. Is that correct? Yeah, until you get to the face, and usually it could be like someone very, very good looking with a face like a fucking horse. <laughs> I'm not going to say anything derogatory. Yeah, but yeah, it is a very odd thing, and I well, I I have seen it, and there was a little bit of time where I go to like um, if I'm in a hotel or something, I watch a bunch of films, and when I finished watching like a horror film or something, I just throw on terrestrial television to, like, make me not have nightmares. And um, I would put the TV on, and there it is. It's always on at, like, 1.32 in the morning. And you'd be like, well, I'm not watching this. But then you'd watch it, not for any, and I do really mean this, not for any sexual, like, oh, she's fit. None of that. It's just weird. It's just plain weird. And what what I find very strange about Naked Attraction is how unattractive people can look without a head. (laughs) 
I know this sounds, it doesn't matter how, without a head, it just looks weird. And you realise that, oh, that that's only looks nice with a head attached. Do you know what I mean? Like just a nice pair of boots or something like that. It doesn't really matter. Or when they're not that nice and then the face is nice. Oh, it's a nice thing. But you know what I mean? It just looks really, it looks like an inanimate object, like an animal. It's the weirdest thing. You ever been to Shanghai? I have been to Shanghai, but I haven't seen anything dodgy though. I mean, when I was in Shanghai, people were constantly asking me if I wanted a massage. (laughs) When I was out actually shopping for a toy for my son. Yeah. And I was like, I'm out buying a toy for my son. Would you stop asking me if I want a massage? Yeah. There are shops in China where you can buy a torso. I mean, it's like in full view. What do you mean a torso? All over China are sex shops and they sell sex aids. You can get this any. This has got anything. to do with television. What? I don't know. I can't remember, <laughs> but it seemed like a decent thing to talk about at the time. Torso, so it's like a piece of silicone fashioned in the shape of a buxom woman with no legs, no arms, no head. Right. Oh, you mean like a... Yes, I know what you mean. What would would that do for you? Nothing at all. I mean, I've seen things like that. I have seen, like, people buy, like, a vagina or whatever, right? And then they do something to the thing on its own. That's fucking bizarre. That is really weird. (laughs) Or torches or something. Honestly, I don't know what that's all about. If you're into that, good luck. We'll get sponsorship from one of those guys at some point. But um, yeah, that is odd. And the thing with, I don't want to go on about naked attraction too much. I'm no prude. But every time I I see that it's on, I kind of can't believe it's on. Mm -hmm. I can't believe it. I can't believe that's a TV show. It got pitched and they put it on and now it's just on and that's normal. I mean, it's good, but it's, it's weird. There was nudity in television and film anyway before um, but television's always been a bit more prudish I mean I remember like seeing things like I'd come down stairs was there even a watershed was that a thing I mean there was always like nine o'clock wasn't it has that always been a thing but the thing is you see whenever you're in whenever you're here yeah in the, in the, in the, in the UK yeah my wife thinks it's disgusting that they drop the f-bomb in the middle of dinner on the television. What time would they do that? They wouldn't do that, though, would they? I mean, no. that, that's definitely later. See, I don't have a problem with swearing on television because I think people swear. And I, I, there's nothing worse to me than when you see Kitchen Nightmares or something like that and they've cut all of Gordon Ramsay's fucks out. I mean, <laughs> it's not fun watching a bleeped show. It's ridiculous. We are all adults. We all swear. Our children will swear. It's... I know you don't want them walking around going, fuck this, fuck that. Like I said, I'm no prude, but I'd rather my kids heard a swear word than saw some fucking. You know what I mean? Mm, On television. I don't care. It's just monkeys making noises. You know, I understand it and I agree to some extent, but I also think they're going to hear it. You heard it in a playground when you were a kid by the age of 10. I mean, we're all going to hear it. It's just words. You cannot stop them learning it. I say to my son, you can hear it, but you can't repeat it. That's kind of our rule. We watch uh, Taskmaster. My son is nine. I don't watch the ones that are bleeped. And all the sex stuff seems to go over his head for now. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing funnier than watching his reaction when someone says a swear word. And I know it's not for nine-year-olds, and you're probably going to, you know, have a go at me about it. But 
He loves it. He loves comedy. He loves all the comedians on it. It's part of our world. Um, I think that's one I can live with rather than a Disney movie where the fucking parent is dead immediately and they've got... Everyone's always dead. There's always a dead parent in everything made for children, television, film, all of it. And, you know, that to me is... a Yes, it's character building and all of that and they have to deal with these things of reality. Is it though? Does a five-year-old need to know about death? just want to make my way to one other subject. You got time for one more? Sure. Okay. Right, so Tony Tone Tone. Television show you saw as a kid which scared the shit out of you. <sighs> Go. Without a doubt, first thing has got to be Torchy the Buttery Boy. Torchy! Torchy! Now, I've never heard of this, but... Tony was <laughs> nice enough to show me a clip of this before Scared this podcast. The shit out of I me. cannot fucking Every believe, time. mate. That this anything with a like, I mean, it's not just a puppet. It's more like a sort of ventriloquist doll-looking thing, isn't it? It's and they always they're always bad news. Scary. Think of Chucky on steroids. I have never Made seen from anything metal, with mean, a rocket up his ass. Yeah, I mean that can't. Have been made for what was it sixties? I'm guessing. Oh yeah. I mean, it looks insane. If you made that now for kids, you'd be. Are you sure you haven't made a fucking Blumhouse horror film? <laughs> what are you talking about? That cannot be for children. It was for children. <laughs> and you know, even though it used to scare the shit out of me, and it used to give me nightmares. Hmm. Once it came, it was like this hypnotic effect it had on me. Yeah. Even if I was sitting in front of the television when it came on. I was clamped into position and I could not move until that thing was over. Yeah. I don't know why, but it was scary shit. Check yeah, kids, it out. Kids do. Yeah, don't check it out is my advice. Fucking hell, not if you want to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought it was going to be more like Captain Scarlet or something. But for me, uh, I'm 10 years younger than Tony. So for me, it will be something from the 70s, um, late 70s. And I'm not sure if it was an episode of Rent-A-Ghost or something like that, which I did love. But there was an, there was two things. I don't remember which is which or if it's the same show, but there was something to do with getting in a lift. These kids got in a lift and it went down and down and down. It just fell and it went, I'm assuming, to hell, right? And I don't know if it was the same thing, but there was also another episode of either something similar or the same show in which some kids went on a London Underground chain which I used to take to school, by the way. And so it was right in my fucking, you know, wheelhouse of terror. Um, they got on the tube and it went past the station that it should have and got faster and faster and faster and then sort of went down at a very long angle, going into the ground, into the ground, into the ground. And then when they got out, everything was green and you knew they were like in, dead. again, hell or dead or whatever. <laughs> and I remember being absolutely fucking scared of that. And I remember that going into my brain and I mean I still have nightmares about underground and I still have nightmares about lifts all the time and I really do attribute it to whatever those shows were if anyone knows please let me know because I don't know it would have been late 70s early 80s maybe but absolutely terrifying um and one other which I know other people share because people think it's a film but it wasn't a film it was a tv uh series a serial what would have been called those days a serial mm. not fucking cornflakes um it was <laughs> 
it was a series, an American TV. It, now they're called um, limited series, limited season, limited series. Limited season is for like four a, or five? Yeah, this was a, a specific, uh, what they used to call things like, you know, winds of war and things like that, things that were just like standalone, few episodes, boom. This was um, David Soul in Salem's Lot. Now, I've got a friend in Canada who agrees with me 100% on this one. There was a scene in that, and I don't know how I saw it because I didn't sit down and watch it. Again, it would have just been on. For those um, under 20 years old, something just being on is when you walk in the room and you haven't fucking chosen what you're watching. It just happens to be on. And as a kid growing up then, you didn't really have a say in what you saw. I'd come downstairs, my grandparents would have the Sweeney on. And it'd be like John Thor uh, smacking around a hooker or something. And I'd be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, exactly. There you go. And one day I came down and they were watching Salem's Lot with um, David Song. And well, that he, sounds he, like a really strange casting decision. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and I remember he went to the window and he opened the curtains of this window. This is fucking terrifying just to say. And outside the window was a child with a big white face and he was just floating outside <laughs> with his legs and everything. I couldn't open the curtains for about fucking 25 years after that. <laughs> I'm telling you, it went straight in, straight in. I don't think it's left me yet. You know, even when I walk through the house at night, I look look outside. I always expect to see something, if not a floating boy, a man just staring at me from the lane, you know, or some shit. Uh, we were exposed to stuff that we shouldn't have been... Um, not swearing, not sex, but definitely scary stuff. So let's end on something that people might be able to relate to rather than weird, obscure <laughs> miniseries that were on in the winter of 1969. <laughs> Recently, people have said that we've just experienced a golden age of TV. I believe that if you grew up anywhere between the 60s and the 90s up to 2000, you definitely grew up in television times. If you've grown up after that point, there's nothing wrong with it, but you've grown up in more of an internet era. You've grown up in internet times, not television times, like myself and most of my guests. We will have guests on who have not grown up in television times, and we'll find out what they think about all this. But as a way of ending this podcast... And I want to ask one more very serious and important question. Okay, let's discuss just one piece of television completely okay when you were a kid, considered fine to watch by everybody, that today would be considered absolutely unacceptable. <laughs> and for me, which I can't quite believe it went as late as it did. I do remember watching it with my nan and granddad as it being... Before you say Steve... Go on, I bet you're going to guess, aren't you? I, I mean, I'm... Totally in concert with you because I know what you're going to say. I think I just remember two or three things as a kid that we would watch around Christmas. One of them I used to love, which was the Stanley Baxter show, which was fantastic. I still think he's brilliant when I see clips. We used to watch Morecambe and Wise, Christmas Day show, brilliant. Um, Dave Allen would be on. It's fantastic stuff, all of it. But then at some point it would take a turn. <laughs> And there would be a black and white minstrel Christmas show. Now, I've looked this up and I cannot believe I'm going to ask you, what year do you think that show finally got taken off the air? Mm. This is white people blacking up, singing. Finally got taken off air. I would say probably 2006. 
<laughs> no, luckily we're more progressive than that. <laughs> 2006, fuck off. <laughs> I can, could you imagine that going through like a, the Britpop period with Tony Blair and everyone just the black and white minstrels hanging out with Oasis and yeah, Blur, of you know, course. hanging out in Park Life. <laughs> no, Park Life. it was not as early as I would have thought. I definitely, well, I knew it was on when I was a kid, but I would have thought it would have ended in the 70s. It went in the last one. It's 1981. Now, I know that's a long time ago to listeners, but that is actually recent history in my mind for something like that. That seems insane. Little caveat. I found out after this podcast was recorded that the Black and White Minstrels actually toured the UK and even did summer seasons at Butlins, all in front of children, until the year 1989. I used to sit with my grandparents on a Sunday evening and watch the Black and White Minstrels show. It's, it's mad, right? It's mad that that was but a thing. it was thing. good. I'm sure it was, but I mean... Okay, well, let's not get into that. Well, that's my answer. What's yours? <laughs> oh, come on. I said before you even gave your answer, it was going to be exactly the same because that's something that sticks in my mind. Yeah. And because we used to watch it every week. It was on every week? It used was to it be a weekly show as well? It was a black and white minstrel show. It was a oh weekly God. show. Sunday evening. That is insane. So it's like songs of praise. Songs of praise. Like antiques. Black and White Minstrels. Whatever show. the Love Joys type TV show was, and then Black and White Minstrels. Fantastic. Fucking hell. <laughs> it's fantastic. Okay, so that was episode one, the de facto pilot of Television Times podcast with Tony the Pony, Tony P, Tony Page, however you'd like to call him. He'll no doubt grace our ears again at some point, as he is a family friend and he lives locally to where this podcast is recorded. Now, after the session was over, we went to the high street, me, my wife and Tony P, for lunch, where we descended upon a brand new cafe where Tony the Pony demanded that they feed him dog biscuits, which were there for the dogs, obviously, not for human consumption. As he was eating them, he tried to get me to eat one. Um, I was worried they might not be vegetarian, Turns out they were, so I ate it anyway. They weren't actually bad. It was a lot better than what I ordered for my lunch, which was a vegan coronation chicken sandwich. It was absolutely foul. If a big pile of chickpeas and two slices of bread is your thing, then, you know, go for it. It really was not my bag. Anyway, it's been a couple of days since that recording now, and we've got the format down a bit more after a few more records. So that was a kind of loose two guys in a room version of the podcast. I'm not sure how much of that will stay or if the format will change. Uh, the subsequent recordings have been, a couple of them have been a bit more serious. Some of them are more silly. We'll just see how it goes. Now to how we close this podcast. Every episode, I will be going back in time to my former incarnation as a songwriter, which I still am, to play you a song which nobody's really ever heard. This time we're going to go all the way back to 1996 to the original concept album of Television Times, where it all began. Now, the final song on that album was called Sitting Comfortably, and I haven't played with it or remixed it or re-edited it in any way. Uh, the vocals are a little bit high, I think. And um, yeah, I'm just going to leave it here. If you like it, you like it. If you don't, skip it. Not a problem. So this has been my first episode of Television Times podcast. I hope it was as good for you as it was for me. No, I can't see through every window And I can't see through every smile you make 
But if we had the chance, I know that we could make it. Can't you see? We're sitting comfortably, and I don't recognize this future. It's not the way it was portrayed before. But if we had the choice, you know we wouldn't change it. Can't you see? You're sitting comfortably, and I can't watch the world you live in. But now I've woken up in time to bring you all out of the dream. Shield your face from the ever blind watching television skies. Stay in tune. Just beginning, and there's no time for you to change your mind. But if you had the chance, you probably wouldn't take it. Can't you see? You're sitting comfortably. Now I don't recognize. The faces you adore. The world you live in is asleep. And now you've woken up in time to lead us all into the screen. Shield your face and cover your eyes.
You've got to try and fly now. I think that's what I was trying to convey in 1996. As you can hear, my vocals back in the day were a little bit higher than they would be now. Anyway, well done if you got to the end. I'll see you on the next episode of Television Times Podcast. Bye for now. <laughs>